What's going on, people? Good to see you guys. Uh, if you don't know, thank you, Maggie. Uh, my name is Austin Connor. I am uh, one of the directors, co-directors here at uh, Veritas, been on staff, oh gosh, I think I ended up my ninth or tenth year, something like that. Uh, I love the beginning of the semesters because I get a chance to see lots of uh, new faces, seen lots of new people, seen lots of old people, not old like me, but you've been around for a while, so uh, whoever you are, uh, really, really glad to see you. Uh, if you're wondering where Kyle and Patrick are, um, they've abandoned us, they have, uh, they've left us, so we're going to leave them behind. They are actually on a trip in Israel right now. There's a picture up there. Uh, they sent that a couple days ago. That's the Wailing Wall. They don't, they're not really Jewish. They just kind of do that for, you know, to get into the culture. Um, they're having a blast there. They're learning a lot, so I'm excited to, to hear from them. Um, but yeah, you know, I hope you guys had a really good break. Really good break. Hope it was refreshing. Hope you read some good books. So you hope you ate some good food. Got some awesome presents. I hope so. Uh, I saw a lot of good movies. Watched a lot of good shows. Um, the other the other week, uh, this is you guys are gonna laugh at me. Uh, my wife and I were trying to kill like 20 minutes before putting our three year old to bed, and, and we realized, hey, we can watch America's Funniest Videos. Thing's been on for 27 years. That's crazy. Uh, but we stumbled across this uh, show, and it was the hundred thousand dollars episode. So they like take all the finalists and they show the funniest and vote on one. This was the video that, uh, that actually won. So uh, let's take a look. <laughs> yeah, I changed my mind. I can't do this. I swear to God. Mom, I can't do this. I can't do this. No, it's not going to go. Yeah, he passed out twice. I can't make fun of him too much. That'd probably be me. Uh, I think they made the right choice, though. So, you know, I show that video, uh, not just to get us laughing, but so in a weird way, I don't know why some of my mind works. It got me thinking about roller coasters. Um, you know, I think they tend to, uh, to capture just the ups and downs that, that come with, with living life. Um, you know, roller coasters have an uphill you know, they got that climb. You can kind of see how things are going. Things are going well. I think some of us, maybe a lot of us, would say we're on an uphill climb. You know, it's the beginning of a new semester. Maybe we've made some New Year's resolutions. We want to start some new habits. Maybe we went on a trip over break where there's passion. I know a lot of people went to Jamaica. A lot of people went to Jamaica. They're back there. Frass and Evan, uh, welcome. Um, you know, so, so a, lot of, a lot of you might be on the uphill. Uh, but not everybody's there. You know, roller coasters have downhills, too. Maybe you're on a downhill. You know, break wasn't refreshing for you. You know, it was draining. You, uh, maybe you told yourself you weren't going to fall into some old habits over break, but you hung out with that friend or you went to that place and you're just, you know, you're not proud of yourself. You're a little bit ashamed. And you're entering in here wondering how you're going to finish all the schoolwork, how you're going to do the job, how you're going to keep the grades up to keep the scholarship, how you're going to deal with all the relationship stuff, stuff in your dorm. Um, you know, there's a downhill. Over break, I, uh, I read a book about a guy. Um, he, he's in a downhill of his own. His name is Mossab 
Hassan Youssef. He's a, a Palestinian, and he's actually the son of the Hamas terrorist organization leader. That guy's name is Sheikh uh, Hassan Youssef. And in his book called Son of Hamas, he actually, through a miraculous turn of events, becomes a Christian. Uh, also ends up working for the Shin Bet, which is this Israeli spy organization. So he's a double agent. He's become a Christian. It's a great book. But he tells about this time uh, when he was thrown into an Israeli prison cell. It was six by six, deep underground, smelled terrible, barely enough room for a mattress and two blankets, had a dimly lit bulb, was really musty, could not count the number of bugs. He went and flushed the toilet, and you can guess what came out of there, sucked into his mattress. He would get shuttled from room to room, rooms that were really hot, rooms that were really cold. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how long he'd stay there. And he ended up staying there for about two months. Now, I know that's an extreme example, but, but maybe that captures just a little bit of, of how you feel sometimes. You're going from room to room. You have no idea where you're going. You don't know when you're going to get out of, of this downhill. Maybe it's been going on for a while. That's where you're at. Uh, maybe others of you, look, you're not on an uphill, but you're not on a downhill either. You're not in crisis mode. You think you're just going okay. You know, not great, but not bad. And that's fine. Life's pretty normal. So wherever you're at, uphill, downhill, just kind of coasting, uh, we've all got one thing in common. You see, all of us are living in God's kingdom. We're living in God's world and his universe. And that life, at different points, it's always a roller coaster. Sometimes it's going to have uphill, sometimes it's going to be down, sometimes it's going to be twists and turns, some more serious than others, but all very real, all of it very real. And in the midst of all of that, God is calling us, calling his people to trust him. You see, the story of the Bible, it's this huge four-part story, and in it, God creates everything, and it's good, but Adam and Eve They want to do their own thing. They choose to sin. They choose to rebel. They choose to live for their own kingdom. And they break everything. But God, out of his love and his grace and his mercy, he doesn't give up. He redeems it. And he restores it. And he is in the process of fixing it. And the means by which he's doing that is through a group of people. In the Old Testament, it was called the nation of Israel. You see, he's always choosing not just individuals, but groups of people and a group of people to be the means by which He fixes what's broken. And so we're called to live our lives. These people live our lives in a way that blesses other people. That just means make life better for other people. Make institutions not corrupt anymore, uncorrupt. Make cultures better. Make cities flourish. We're called to show others who God really is by our words and by our actions. You know, the way that we say it around here in Veritas, we want to love Jesus and we want to live for his kingdom Together, That's why we're here in Columbia on Mizzou's campus. Now, I think uh, this is the most important and the most satisfying and the greatest calling we could ever achieve, to be faithful to God. And yet, like all great things, you know what? It's also one of the hardest things that you'll ever do, one of the hardest things that we will ever do. You know, how can we do this? How do we do this on that roller coaster when you got the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns? You don't know what's coming next. How do you do that? And so um, we're going to kick off the semester uh, with a six-week series answering that question. How can we follow God? How can we encounter God on this roller coaster? And when we're going to do that, we're going to look at six or I guess five specific stories of people just like you, people on 
downhills and uphills and twists and turns. These are anxious people. These are scared people. These are depressed people. These are people who are faking it. People who have double lives. People who are busy. People who are just trying to make it. People who are coasting. But again, they all have one thing in common. They, as we'll see, they had an encounter with God. And it changed everything about their life. So over the next few weeks, like I said, we're going to get into the the specific issues, look at specific people and their interaction. But tonight, we're going to kind of take a big picture view. We're going to be 35,000 feet up to see what we all need to hear during this roller coaster ride. And that's one thing. We need to encounter God. We need to encounter God. And to do that, uh, we get to walk through one of my favorite psalms. It's one of the Bible's greatest hits. It really is Psalm 23. So if you have your phone, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. While you do that, let me uh, tell you just a little bit about the book of Psalms. So it's the longest book in the Bible. It's 150 chapters. It's a collection of songs and poems written by a lot of different authors, mainly by a guy named David, which we'll hear more about in a second. A lot of different authors, a lot of different themes. Uh, now, if you've read the Psalms before, you know that they're great to read on your own, individually. Maybe you read through them and you journal them. Maybe you just pray through them in the morning, and that's great. But the original use of the Psalms was a little bit different. You see, they were meant to be sung together by a group of people, by the ancient Israelites. You see, they would gather together in the temple, and they would sing them together. You see, singing... It moves our hearts, it moves our minds in ways that just reading and thinking can't do. And moreover, and maybe honestly why I think the Psalms is one of my favorite books is, it, it, it really gets real about life. You see, what it does is it names and it really normalizes every single emotion that we experience. Joy, peace, sadness, confusion, envy, anger, the whole gamut. And you know why? You know why I need to hear that? You know why you need to hear that? Is because sometimes it's easy to think that stuff like anger and depression and sadness is not okay. What's wrong with me? I need to ignore that. I need to push it away. I'm going to just try and post stuff on Facebook to keep positive thoughts, whatever that is. But what God wants us to do is he wants us through the book of Psalms to tell us, no, it's okay. You need to experience that. You need to lean into some of those things. I want you to come to me with them, not just as an individual, but as a people. That's what the Psalms are doing. And by naming those things, God telling us that it's okay and even normal to feel them. They are not supposed to be kept at bay. So that's why God wants us to bring them to him. So tonight, Psalm 23. This is a psalm of confidence. There are different types of psalms. This is a psalm of confidence. And this just basically helps us, helps worshipers to deepen our trust in God. Help us to want to encounter God more. I mentioned it was written by uh, King David. He was the king of the nation of Israel. So he's the example of, and the leader of what an Israelite is supposed to be, what life in God's kingdom is supposed to be like. And the people were supposed to look at David and look at any other king and model their lives after him. Now, if you know David, you know he's just like us. He's a mixed bag. He's got times on the uphill, times when he did really good, when he was really faithful. He sought justice for the people. He helped the oppressed. He led the people in right worship. But just like you and me, he had times on downhill. He committed adultery with one of the wives of his generals, and then he sent that general to battle so that he would die. So he murdered him. He had some significant and serious downhills, and yet 
He's still loved by God, still called a man after God's own heart. And in this psalm, he's reflecting on lots of times in his life, these uphills and these downhills. So let's pick it up in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, in these, in these verses, sorry, in these verses, David's putting words to life on the uphill. This is what characterizes a thriving relationship with God. Now, if you're on the uphill, you know this. You're feeling this right now. If you're on the downhill, you may not. Now, that's okay. You need to listen up, though, because you and me and all of us need to know what ultimately will be true and what God wants for us. So let me just walk through these verses, do just a couple observations here. Verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, I don't know about you, I think of shepherd, that's kind of a weird job title. Shepherds are kind of weird people. Back then, lots of other images would come up about a shepherd. You know, it's somebody who leads a flock of sheep. He knows where he's going. He's familiar with the terrain. He knows the good roads. He knows the bad roads. He has the good of the sheep in mind. These are rough and tough guys. They're outdoors, kind of bear grills on steroids maybe. You know, the most interesting man in the world's uh, forefathers, whatever that is. You know, they, they have to be ready to fight bears and wolves and keep the sheep safe. You know, they had total authority and power over their sheep. And so when David says that the Lord is his shepherd, he says something profound about himself. For God to be the shepherd means that he's the sheep. Do you think of yourself as a sheep? I don't often see that. Sheep uh, aren't the brightest of animals. Sheep need someone to lead them. They can't get things for themselves. They are completely reliant upon someone else. This is, this is David. He's saying he needs to be led. He doesn't have the right answers. He's okay with being vulnerable and asking uh, for help. Do we see ourselves as that? Second, David says, I shall not want. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's saying there is that when God is his shepherd, he doesn't want anything else in life. He's not saying other things are bad. You know, relationships are good. Money is good. Jobs are good. But compared to knowing and having and experiencing God, they're nothing. He doesn't want the relationship. He doesn't want the respect. He doesn't want the grades. He doesn't want whatever it is. He wants God. That's what he wants. He has the Lord, his shepherd, and that's enough. If we keep going in verse 2, notice that all that happens when David puts his rest in the Lord, there's peace. Think of that image. Let that image run through your mind. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's rest. He leads me beside still waters. There's refreshment. The sheep have eaten. They're satisfied. They don't have to go looking around anymore. They've had enough to where they can lie down. And you know what? The shepherd lets them lie down. The shepherd lets them lie down. They're at peace because of the shepherd. Because they were given something, not because they got something for themselves. Verse 3, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, David's life wasn't his own. David recognized that it was not the world's job to conform to him and his desires. The world was not his for the taking. Rather, he was to conform to the pattern of the world. And he knew that God created the world. He knew that the world was designed to work in a certain way. And so he recognized that he needed to conform to that path of righteousness. That's a pretty countercultural idea, yeah? You say that to somebody that might think you're a sheep. And that's a negative term. 
Thank you. You know, the idea of conforming to somebody else's path, it's just, we don't want it. You know, doing that, it sort of seems like we're selling out, like we're not thinking for ourselves. We're not being adventurous enough. We're not taking any risks. We're not going to grow. You know, it almost kind of seems like a death a little bit. It's not, it's not going to be fun. What, do what somebody else says? Why do we want to do that? Um, I just did a quick little Google search on finding your own path, and this, uh, this picture came up. Eh, I can't really see it. You see the words. That's good enough. Uh, it says, find your own path and make the choices that make you happiness. You do you whatever that is. Do you hear it? Finding your own path is going to make you happiest, but David is saying something completely different. He's saying when he takes God's path, the path of righteousness, that is what is worth living for, to be selfless, to think of others before yourselves, to seek justice for others. David's doing all of this for God's sake. He's hoping that God gets all the credit. Is this how you see your life? I don't say that lightly. It's not often how I, how I see mine. So often I'm the one on the throne. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I think about is me. What's my wife going to do for me? How are my kids going to make my life easier? It's all about me. But David and the Psalms and life following God is totally, totally different. David continues to describe life on this roller coaster in verse 4. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David knows what life on the downhill is like. He knows, he knows life in that prison. You know, as weird as it sounds, and it sounds weird even as I say it, this is a little bit encouraging to know that, okay, I'm not crazy. We're not crazy when we feel like we're in a valley of the shadow of death. To not know if everything is going to be okay. To go through lots of pain and struggle and hardship. If that's not you right now, pay attention. If you're on the uphill, pay attention because just wait. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in a year, maybe 10 years, something's coming. You and me, we need to hear this. Not only that, we can help others who are there right now. The valley of the shadow of death. You hear that if you're an, an Israelite and you think about a term called a wadi. It's basically uh, a valley in a desert. They've got these deep shadows. You're not quite sure what's lurking in the shadows. You're not quite sure what's around the corner. And if you're a shepherd and you've got a flock, you've got to know what's coming. And so to not know what's coming, that's a threat. That's a place you don't want to be. And notice what David says is he's not just there for an hour, a day. He's there for a while. He's walking there. Um, in August of 2010, maybe you, you've heard about this story, surely you have, there were uh, 33 miners in Chile. They were mining for copper, and uh, the mine collapsed on them. There should be a, a picture up here. They were about 2,300 feet below the earth. You see those red spots. That's where they, the, the, everything collapsed on them. Initially, they tried escaping up these ladders through some ventilation shafts. Uh, so they went there. They think, okay, it's on the protocol. It's going to work. Yes, it's going to be great. We planned for this. They go there, not there. So they were trapped. Now, eventually, they regrouped in one of the tunnels below, and, and everybody um, was okay initially, but they started to realize just how desperate uh, their situation was. And again, if you're on the downhill, this is what it feels like. You've got 2,300 feet of dirt and rock and soil above your head, and you don't know how you're going to get to the surface. You're trying, you're trying to escape. You know, this is... This is, this is how you feel? What do you, what do you do? What do you do if you've been there for a while? You've been reaching for those ladders, whatever they are. They're supposed to be there. Maybe you've tried to look for them. They're not working. 
The medicine's not working. The relationship isn't working. The drugs, the alcohol, it's not working. It's not getting better. It's making it worse. It's like drinking salt water. What do you do? David keeps going. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That word anoint, it's not a word we use a lot. When you hear that, what that means is a person is chosen for a specific task, for a specific job. So Samuel is one of the judges in the Old Testament. He anointed King Saul and then he anointed King David. They were chosen to lead the people. Moses, when he came down the mountain, he had the Ten Commandments, and he was in charge of kind of jump-starting the nation of Israel. He would anoint these priests who had to perform the sacrifices. They had all these rituals. That's kind of what the book of Leviticus is all about, all the details of how do we live life in relationship with a holy God. Well, you've got to have priests, and you've got to do this job, and you've got to bring so many of these weird animals and go through these things. They were anointed for that job. The same is true of us today. Whether you know it or not, every single one of us in this room has been anointed by God, chosen by God to perform some particular specific task. And here's the kicker, no matter what, there's no days off, uphill, downhill, coasting, upside down, topsy-turvy, be faithful, love Jesus, live for his kingdom together. We can say it a lot of different ways. How do you do this? How do you do this? Tell me. Over the break, um, I had to have uh, just a small surgery. It took me off my feet for about three or four days and rest, and it was supposed to. So here was the plan. Of course, it's all going to go to plan, right? No. Uh, my in-laws, they said, great, we're going to watch your five-year-old, Adeline, and the, my kids, two big kids. We'll take them off your hands because if you know my kids, some of you do, God bless them. Boy, they're crazy. So they were out of the house. Great. I can just lie around. It's just my wife and my nine-month-old Clayton. Well, they call us a week before, and they say, hey, uh-huh, sorry, we're going to go visit uh, your brother-in-law down in Norman, Oklahoma. Okay, bye. All right, cool, no problem. No big deal. It's fine. Polly can take all three kids. God bless her. She's a great mom. Well, Icepocalypse happens, the real one, not the fake one, the real one, the one that catches everybody off guard. We're driving there. I see a two, uh, a semi-accident that just happened. Nobody's there. Traffic backed up. They're probably still sitting there. It was really, really, really bad. Um, I have to go get my daughter from school. Uh, the, the buses didn't get the last kid out of the school till 11 p.m. Crazy. So we're stuck with three kids uh, in a house for two or three days. No big deal, right? Well, well, uh, tried to go into work the next day to relax. Uh, my son had a double ear infection, so that means he throws up and he uh, messes himself all the time, and he cries constantly. So you got a crying baby. One night he was up five times before 3 a.m. God bless my wife. I just I had to go help her. But I'm supposed to be lying down, but I got to go get up and help her because I'm a nice guy, right? Okay. So, so I'm, it's, it, it hurts. It's fine. I'm in pain, but I'm doing it. Great. Uh, the next day, go back into work thinking, okay, I'm going to relax. It's going to be fine. I get a call from my daughter, Adeline, school. Hey, uh, sorry, your daughter, Adeline, had diarrhea. Not once, but five times. So you, I don't know my family and messing themselves lately. You need to go get her. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Me. I'm not going to go get her. I've got sure, to relax. So I call my wife up. Hey, dear, I know. God bless you. You're doing a great job. Uh, can you go get Adeline at preschool? Well, uh, no. Uh, your son is throwing up everywhere on the carpet. Uh, and then he threw up everywhere in the hallway. And then he threw, threw up everywhere in the tub. And then Clayton's still messing himself and he's crying. And so you have to go get our daughter from school. And I just hung up the phone and I, my first thought was, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this? 
How am I going to do this? I mean, what is going on? Talk about a downhill. Um, how are we going to do it? Now, that's just my story. I'm sure you have a story like that where you ask, how are you going to do it? How are you going to lead that small group when you got 30 minutes to plan or when you got a final the next day? How are you going to forgive that other person after what they've done to you? Maybe again and again and again. How can you love other people when you don't feel like you're worthy of being loved because of what you've done, maybe still doing? You can try your own stuff for a while. That might get you a week, a month, a semester, but eventually it's, you're going to break down. I know I do. Uh, what, what do you do? You know, we can't encounter God. We can't be faithful to God on our own. We can't. But remember, book of Psalms. Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence. There's hope. You know, we can encounter God, and the only reason why is because God encounters us first. God encounters us first. Check out verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is most likely a, a reference to a time when David's own son is trying to murder him. He wants to be king. He wants to kill David. David's on the run. He has to flee. He's living day to day, cave to cave, farm to farm, not sure where his next meal is coming from. And yet, he is trusting in the Lord to prepare a table before him, to provide for him in the presence of enemies, of wolves, of people that are out to get you, who don't like you or what you stand for. God is going to provide for David what he can't get on his own. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is a good following. We don't want creepy following. Nobody likes to be creepily followed. This is a good following. Goodness and mercy, follow me all the days of my life. There's no place we can go where God's not there. Psalm 139 picks up on this, says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, uphill, you're there. If I make my bed in shoal, as low as you can go, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. A few years ago, saw a um, news story about a mom who was in a really, really bad accident over a, about a, a bridge that had about a 300-foot drop. Terrible crash. Cars hanging over the edge of the bridge. Miraculous that she and her 8-year-old and her 8-week-old did not die. They're literally hanging there. The firefighters came to help. Uh, traffic is stopped. It's a huge deal. But the problem was whenever the firefighters would try to go into the car to rip it open and get the kids out. They're putting too much pressure on the car and it starts falling over. It starts falling over. So they just have to let her sit there. They were sitting there for hours. Word is spreading down both lanes of traffic. Finally, some guys in the Navy, some Navy CVs showed up and they had a forklift. And this is what they did. They reached across, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, it's kind of a crappy picture. They reached across the lane of traffic, put that forklift right underneath that car. You get it, right? That forklift supported the car so that the firefighters could rip the car open, get the mom, get the kid. Everybody's fine. Get them out. In the same way, God is the one who is supporting us, who is holding us. Your right hand will hold me. But, but that's not the whole story, though. You see, that forklift, it kept the mom and the daughter and the kids from falling into that valley. But what about if you're in the valley? What happens if you fall down? You've lost hope. 
you've looked for that ladder and you've tried and it's, it's dead, you're, you're, you're trapped. There's no way out. What about, what about people who are actually facing death, the valley of the shadow of death? Is, is, is God with them? Um, I told some of you this. Um, you know, on, on Friday, uh, I got a call from my grandma. She's 88. She's been living in town for years. She's pretty, you know, pretty tiny. Uh, so I got a call from her late at night. knew something was wrong. Went over there. Uh, had to go to the, to the ER. Stayed there all night. Got a lot of tests. She had a heart condition a long time ago, and they think it acted up again. So uh, she's been there all weekend. And yesterday afternoon, um, uh, my uncle and I are kind of the powers of attorneys, but he's out of town. And um, she, she, uh, she had to do this test called the swallow test where she's got to figure out how can she swallow liquid because she hadn't eaten or drinking anything for four days. And uh, she failed it. She failed it. Uh, and so according to her health care directive, um, if a feeding tube would be required, which is what's required if you fail a swallow test so you can get your nutrients and medicine, if that would happen, she didn't want it. She just wants to, to be let go to have life uh, made as comfortable as, as possible. Now, she's a saint. She's a Christian. Um, she loves the Lord, and she's looking forward to see Jesus and her kids and her sister. But it sucks. She's 70 pounds right now. Her legs are filled with fluid, and they're kind of leaking out. I had to lift her up into her bed just a day uh, and set her in there, and she's so tiny. What? What do, you, what do you say? And yet, Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus, in the New Testament book of John, in chapter 10, he tells his disciples that he's the good shepherd, that he is there to shepherd. You see, Jesus, he's with my grandma in that room right now, in Tiger Place. He's with her, even though I'm not. He's watching her. He's caring for her. He's ready to take her. You know, I got to think that, um, that Romans 8.38 takes on a whole new meaning for my grandma right now. It says this, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I personally think Paul put death first because it sucks the most because it sucks the most. And yet it can't separate us from Jesus. It can't separate you from Jesus. It can't separate us from Jesus when we trust him, when we encounter him. So no matter what valley you're in or you're gonna be in tomorrow or next year, it's not gonna prevent us from encountering God because he is encountering us daily, weekly, the rest of our lives. And when God encounters us, he equips us. Check it out, verse five. It says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Think about that illustration for a second. You've got enough to the point where it's pouring out of the cup. We're given abundant resources by God to keep living life in his kingdom on that roller coaster together, loving Jesus, living for his kingdom together. We're like iPhones plugged into the wall. We're never gonna run a battery. We're like scuba divers with an eternal tank of air. That'd be kind of awesome. You can go as deep as you want. You can go as far as you want. You can look whatever you want because you've got life. You and I are sustained. So what's it look like? 
What's it look like to be equipped? What should we do now? You know, there's lots of things, but let's stick to what Psalm 23 has to say. Two main things, and we'll, we'll kind of close up with this. You know, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Well, here's why. That David may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the house of the Lord, that's just a reference to the temple in ancient Israel. This is, think of it as God's self-chosen mailing address here on earth. Back then in that time, you want to talk to God? Great, go to the temple. That's where he dwells. That's where he has chosen to put his presence. That's where he's living. And he, David says he wants nothing more than to gather there and to be there. Now, of course, he doesn't mean, look, I'm going to quit my job. Um, sorry, not, king thing's not for me. I'm going to be a monk and just live there the whole time. That's not what he's saying, okay? But what he is telling us is that we need to value being a part of a community. We need to value nurturing and creating and cultivating Christian relationships, whether that's in a small group, whether that's coming here to Veritas, whether that's going to the crossing. We need to be in a community. Now, here's the deal. If you've been around for a while, that's not the first time I've said it. Maybe you've tuned me out by now because it's duh, of course. But here's the deal. A couple things happen when we commit ourselves to these places like small group and Veritas and the crossing, whatever church you join. These are places we go to show our faith, to show God, to show others, yes, I'm committed to you. This is what I want to do, something I do. But even more foundational, even more importantly, we are formed when we go to these places. Something is done to us, particularly God does something to us when we get together and we sing songs. When we hear musicians say prayers. When we go to a small group, we pray for someone, we read scripture together, but then we get prayed for. We share something that we've never shared before. We're vulnerable. Something is done to us. And when that happens, God is forming us. He's equipping us to live life on the roller coaster. He's encountering us. That's why it is so important. The other thing that we can do, ways that we're equipped, we mentioned it earlier, it's in verse 3. God leads me down paths of righteousness. Again, these are the way that we're supposed to live life according to God. How do we know what that is? Got lots of opinions, lots of blogs, lots of tweets, lots of political shows. How do we know what's the right answer? Simply put, it's in God's word. If we lose God's word, we lose God. That's why we need it. And again, it's not just a way that we show our devotion to God. You know, I'm doing the, the, the New Testament in a year reading plan. I hope you're doing it too. It's a great thing. I try to get up a little earlier in the morning before I get to the office, read five, ten minutes. That's great. That's something I do for God. But more importantly, it's something God is doing to me. I am being formed. I am being shaped. My appetites are being changed when I read the word. It's something as simple as, hey, this was an interesting quote that stood out. I wonder what that's about. Let me read my study notes. Let me go ask somebody about it. Simple, easy, and yet life-changing because we are encountering God. I'm going to close uh, with this. I know I said I'm closing. Now I'm really closing. Um, I mentioned those Chilean miners earlier. Well, when that accident happened, everybody thought, understandably, I mean, they're 2,300 feet under the ground. They thought they were dead. And so what the government did is they started sending out these crews to, to basically reclaim their bodies. They're looking for remains. Uh, so they started drilling. Uh, you remember that spiral? They would drill holes kind of uh, close to the spiral so that they could somehow wedge their way into one of those tunnels and start looking. On the 17th day they were down there, 
just like a normal day. They drill and come up. Only one guy kind of notices. He's pulling all the dirt off of it. He notices this big red thing on there, and he starts putting it together and realizes it's a message. These miners had somehow gotten red tape, and they put together a message on the drill bit to communicate with the outside world. And it said this, we are well in the shelter, the 33 of us. We are well in the shelter. You see, those miners, they had a shelter of dirt and rock walls that didn't collapse on them. But we have a better shelter. Our shelter is Jesus. And he's not going to collapse. He's not going to suffocate us. He's providing us. He's equipping us. He's empowering us. He is encountering us every single day. No matter where we are on that roller coaster, uphill, downhill, sideways, left, right, up and down, he is committed to encountering us. And so let's encounter Jesus because just like those miners said, we are well in the shelter. So as the music team comes up, let's pray together. Father, we are well in the shelter. I say that and I want to believe it. Don't feel it right now, but I want to believe it and I know it's true in my head and I know in time my heart will follow. I know and I hope I'm not alone. I pray each of us in this room would say that with our minds, with our hearts, with our lives. We are safe in the shelter. We can encounter you because you have and will and will always encounter us. Lord, be with us. Help us, shape us, form us, that we may live lives pleasing that conform to your path, to your will. We pray this in your name.